Here we are on Christ the King Sunday at the close of the church year. Now, human beings um, forever have measured time. It's part of what we do and how we live in the world. So we have all sorts of calendars. We have um, our calendar year from January to December. For those of us who have lived life in um, education, we have the academic year. For those of us who have been in business, any type of business or organization, we have a fiscal year. And we also have a church year. Um, and we name the pieces of it, but we don't often think maybe about the whole of it. So the new year will start next Sunday with Advent. So we look forward to the coming of Christ. And then we move into Christmas and Epiphany and then into Lent, traveling with Jesus all the way to Jerusalem and to the cross, and then Easter, and on into Pentecost, and then for the rest of the year, we celebrate the presence of the Holy Spirit alive and at work in us, and we end the year with Christ of the King Sunday. So this is the scripture that I'm about to read from the Gospel of Luke that the lectionary assigns to Christ the King Sunday. So listen with me to what the Spirit might be saying about how Christ is King. When they came to the place that is called the Skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by, watching but the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself if he is the Messiah of God, God's chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him that said, This is the king of the Jews. Even one of the criminals who were hanged with him kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked the first, saying, Do you not fear God, since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we, we indeed have been condemned justly, for we're getting what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus... Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Please pray with me. Holy God, in all the names that we call you, May you reveal a little bit more of who you are and how we should live in the image of Christ. Amen. Friends, we celebrate the written word of Scripture. We celebrate the living word, Christ among us. So, Christ the King Sunday. We have lots of images and names that we use when we talk about Jesus. Teacher, Savior, Emmanuel, Word, Wisdom, Son of God, the Human One, Alpha and Omega, Beloved. Of all the names that we have for Jesus, King or Christ the King is one that you're not likely to hear a whole lot in progressive Christian churches like ours, and there are reasons for that. King is an inherently masculine term. 
For far too long in Christianity, God and Christ have been imaged almost exclusively as male. And in our worship, we want everyone, everyone to see themselves reflected in the image of God across the full spectrum of gender. You are made in the image of God, whoever you are. So we do our best to use expansive and inclusive language for God, not language that is exclusively male. King also carries with it a sense of hierarchy of what we have been calling for the last few weeks power over. Kings are monarchs and war makers and oppressors. In Jesus's day and throughout history, really up until recent times, kings have exercised power over common folks, sometimes absolute power and often through brute force, violence and war particularly with that inherent sense of power over, using the word king for Jesus in a church that is aligned with a dominant culture can be dangerous. Let me unpack that a bit. If a church already has a good bit of power over in a nation or in a culture, if it's part of the dominant culture, then saying that Jesus is king runs the risk of reinforcing power over and reinforcing the systems of domination. When those of us who already have some type of socioeconomic power say Christ is king, it can mean Christ is king on our side at the expense of others, and most importantly, at the expense of the most vulnerable in our midst. Nations have said that to other nations in times of war. Christ is king and on our side and not yours, and millions have died. That type of theology has been used to justify things like manifest destiny, where white colonizers said Christ is king and he's calling us to move west and take the land from the people who are living there. It is at work even now even now in white nationalist movements across our country, and even, even in movements that claim American exceptionalism and power in the name of Jesus, we ought to be careful. When I did a little research on Christ the King Sunday, I thought I would be saying to you that this is something we have celebrated since the early church. It's an ancient tradition, like Advent or Lent. But what I found is that Christ the King Sunday only dates back to 1925. Pope Pius XI declared it in the aftermath of World War I and with the rise of Mussolini. And interestingly, it was for reasons similar to the ones that I just laid out. Pope Pius looked around at the scorched earth that the kings of the world had left in the bloody trenches of World War I, and he established Christ the King Sunday so that we might remember that Christ, the Prince of Peace, is king over every other king, and most of all, most of all, over our warring madness. For someone like me, who is white and American, it is healthy to be careful about how I and how we claim that Christ is king. And, and, a couple of years ago, a good friend of mine invited me to reconsider my aversion 
to names like King for Jesus. And to open it up a bit, particularly when we think about our life in multicultural community. The friend is Professor Yolanda Norton, professor of Hebrew scriptures at SFTS and the H. Eugene Farlow Chair of Black Church Studies. At the beginning of Black History Month two years ago, Professor Norton led a teach-in in chapel, focusing on how some words for God that white progressives avoid are actually vital and essential in a black church context. One of the things she said was basically this, folks who have been oppressed need to know that Jesus is king, that Jesus is king over every king, that Jesus is king over every power of oppression in the world. When we say Christ the king, with that in mind, We confess and affirm that Christ the King is coming to destroy every power that oppresses even now and that Christ the King will be victorious in that work of liberation. We affirm that Christ the King is turning the world right side up by dismantling every system of oppression and setting the whole world free. All of that, all of that is true. And then... Then we come to this morning's scripture. The scripture assigned this year for Christ the King Sunday, and we find Christ the King hanging on a cross. And the scripture speaks one more word about how Christ is King. For the past few weeks, we've been thinking about how Jesus is turning the world right side up. We've been traveling with Jesus for the past four weeks as Jesus has made his way to Jerusalem, as he's made his way to the cross. We've watched as Jesus has gathered at table outcasts and sinners and tax collectors, as he has denounced every system of power over, and as he has told his disciples to get ready for hard times, to get ready to testify and to persevere. And the powers of his day have reacted. The religious and the Roman leaders, they have had him arrested. He's been convicted on trumped up charges. He's been handed over to be crucified, beaten and mocked. And here we find Jesus on the cross. They come to the hill called the skull and they crucify him with two criminals, two wrongdoers, one on his right and one on his left and the people just stand by and watch. The religious leaders ridicule him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself. The soldiers mock him. Aren't you king of the Jews? Save yourself. And even one of those wrongdoers hanging with him reviles him saying, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us while you're at it. They hang a sign over him that says King of the Jews. And it's clear that what they are saying in their sadistic sarcasm is this. This is not what a king looks like. But then, then the second guy hanging there with Jesus speaks. He looks over at the first guy and the second guy says, stop. Just stop. Have you no shame? We're here because of things we did. This guy is suffering all that we are, and he's done nothing wrong. Just stop. And then he turns to Jesus and says, Jesus, 
Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, truly I tell you. And actually in Greek, that truly word is amen. Jesus says, amen. I tell you today that you will be in paradise with me. We say that Jesus enters into the whole of human life with us, that he experiences in his life what we experience in ours, all the joys, all the hurts, all the sorrows, and here we have it, Jesus suffering with us. This moment, with Jesus and the guy dying on the cross next to him as they suffer together. And notice what that guy does. And you may notice that I'm not calling him a criminal because I've become quite fond of him as I've worked with this scripture this week. (laughs) This guy, this guy dying on the cross with Jesus turns to the first guy who was attacking Jesus and says, stop, just stop. He interrupts the violence. The violence in the scripture is nonstop. The religious leaders, the soldier, the first guy on this cross, but this second guy says, stop. He's the only one in the story who does hanging on a cross with Jesus. He stands between Jesus and the next blow. And then he turns to Jesus and he says, Jesus. He calls Jesus by his name. While the rest of everybody is taunting Jesus, reviling him, this guy dignifies Jesus by calling him by name. And then, then this guy dying with Jesus on the cross, he sees Jesus suffering on the cross as someone who has a kingdom, a king. And so he says, Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And that remember me, in the Greek, it has the sense of um, uh, bring me to mind. Bring me to God's mind, or I might say, hold me close in God's heart. He says to Jesus, remember me. And Jesus says, Amen. Dr. Howard Thurman writes in his book, Jesus and the Disinherited, that we can't fully understand the life and teachings of Jesus if we don't understand Jesus's life first and foremost as a life lived for everyone whose back is up against the wall. Thurman points out that Jesus was not a person who had any socioeconomic power in his world, and his story is not written for our places of powerfulness. Thurman puts it like this. Jesus was a poor Jewish peasant. He had no power, certainly no power in the world of the Roman Empire. If a Roman soldier had pushed Jesus down into a ditch, he would have been just another poor Jewish peasant in a ditch. Jesus is king by crawling down into the deep ditches of our world into the deep ditches of our lives and abiding with us there. And that's what we have here. Jesus and this guy suffering together on the cross, just the two of them, 
as the world around them scoffs and mocks and reviles and crucifies them. And together, together they say no to violence. They see each other as fully human and they hold each other close in God's heart. As the guy looks to Jesus and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, Amen. The thing about these Good Friday stories is that we read them in 2019, knowing that the story goes on. We can come to the cross, but we know, as did the folks who wrote them down, that resurrection is right around the corner. But as I was sitting with this scripture this week, a question struck me, and it struck me hard, and it was this. What if this is all there was? This moment on the cross. What if the camera stopped rolling here? What if the scribe put down her pen and closed the book here in this moment on the cross? What if this is all there was? Would it be enough? Well, I don't know if it would be enough, but it would be good. It would be good and kind and decent and loving and tender and merciful, full of grace and truth. In a world of suffering, swirling with all manner of evil and violence, where so much around us is so very bad, what we have here in this scripture is this moment of goodness. Two people, one of them God, suffering together in the fullness of their humanity, taking up for each other, seeing each other, and holding each other close in God's heart. This moment of goodness in the midst of our deepest sorrow, holding its breath, waiting and hoping for resurrection. It's a glimpse of how Christ is King. Christ the, king, Christ the King is turning the world upside, right side up by finding for each of us a place at the table. Christ the King is turning the world right side up by dismantling every power over, every power in this world that pushes us down or holds us back. Christ the King is turning the world right side up by giving us a voice to testify and a story to tell of where we see God's liberating grace in the world. And, and Christ the King is turning the world upside, turning the world right side up by crawling down into the ditch with us, into the fullness of our lives, and by standing with everyone whose back is up against the wall. I don't know you well enough yet to know what the deep ditches in your life are. The pain and the ache. I know mine. This scripture says to us that in every part of life, including including our deepest hurt. Jesus is present with us fully and completely so that when we say, when we pray, Jesus, remember me, 
Jesus, hold me close in God's heart when you come into your kingdom. The word we hear from Jesus is amen. To our prayer from the ditch, from the cross, Jesus says amen. May it be so for you and for me and for the whole world.